Good morning. My name's Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, before we jump into the message, I want to welcome a group of people in this room that aren't normally in this room. Uh, this morning's kind of the morning in our church when those who are younger move up a grade. Uh, so those who moved into junior high are here with us because they're normally uh, in children's church right now. So they moved out of children's church and are in here. And there's one in that group that is very special to me. I won't embarrass him. Um, you probably figure out who that might be, but if you look around, you'll find him in here. Um, so anyway, just welcome junior hires. Glad you're here. And um, he is 50 shades of red right now and uh, crawling under the seats. Uh, with that said, um, here's where we're kind of going to be this morning. Continuing John 15. If you have a journal with you, uh, you can take notes there on page 18. If you don't have a journal, you'd like one. And what that is, it's a reading plan we put together that is out in the uh, foyer. Uh, feel free to grab one, take it. It gives you some readings of scripture that we encourage you to do in your own. Um, don't worry, he's not leaving because I've embarrassed him. He's got a football game to go to. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so anyway, uh, here's where we're at. Last week, Pastor Chris kicked off and did a great job kicking off this foundational chapter. Uh, foundational chapter on uh, kind of really what it means to be a Christian, what it really means to live for Christ and to bear fruit. If you remember his big idea of the week last week was, listen, we want to produce fruit, but to produce fruit, we've got to focus on our proximity to Jesus, not our performance for Jesus. Now, to kind of recap that, because I think it's important to understand that as we move into uh, this morning. So I want to kind of really start there with Pastor Chris developed last week and kind of run with it. And here's how I want to do this. Uh, if you heard last week, uh, Pastor Chris, in one of his illustrations, he, he made a comment about not really enjoying shopping for home good type products. You remember that? Well, here's a, Chris, Chris and I are very different people in, in many ways, and there is one area where we are very different. I love going to Home Goods. I love Ikea. It's one of, I mean, when my wife says she's gone and I hear she went without me, I'm like, darn it, I missed it. I truly enjoy it. Uh, so um, here's how I want to illustrate this. This image, we don't live, uh, many of you, some of you might have grapevines in your backyard <laughs> or see them around our area, but we don't live in a culture that sees grapevines all over. So I want to illustrate this point using a lamp. When I went to Ikea, this was about two years ago, I had a spot in my office that just kind of had, that didn't quite have the feel that I wanted. So I thought, you know, we need another lamp in that place and we need to cast a little more light there. It was like kind of a darkness to that space. So I was in Ikea and I had these paper lamps on floor lamps and other places. So I saw this little one. It was new at the time. It was a new product they had out. I said, man, I would love to have that lamp. And why did I buy the lamp? I didn't buy the lamp because it's a really cool lamp. I, I, I did because it's a cool lamp, but I didn't uh, say, I want to take this lamp home and sit the lamp on my shelf because the lamp looks so cool. What do I want the lamp for? I want the fruit of the lamp. Sounds kind of silly to say that, but that's really what I want. I want the fruit of the lamp, which is light. I wanted to cast some light in that area of my bookshelf. So I bought the lamp. I brought it home. Now, here's the thing. My office is in the older part of the building where they didn't build buildings back then, putting outlets every so many feet that you have to today. So when I go to stick the lamp there, guess what I didn't have? I didn't even pay attention to this. I had no power source. My lamp was far away from the, the proximity of the lamp to the power source was too far. I couldn't get it there. So what did I have to do? I'd hook an extension cord up because I had to get the lamp closer to the power source. Now I could have moved the lamp, but that wouldn't have worked because it didn't fit. And I just didn't want it over there. I wanted it in this specific spot. So I moved it closer to the power source. So the proximity was closer so that I got the fruit of the lamp. Now, we get this in, in our culture. We get this in our home decor. I think we get it in uh, this imagery of the grapevine. So what, what, 
I'm going to sit this right here. Is that okay? Will that bother you guys? Can you see me up here? So what we want to go after is we want to say, listen, we want the fruit that Jesus talks about. We want fruit that lasts. We want the fruit of light. Now, how do we do it? So Chris started last week and said, okay, focus on your proximity to Jesus, not your performance for Jesus. Yes, pay attention to do you have fruit, but really pay attention to am I plugged in and connected with Jesus. Now, to build on that theme, before we jump into John 15, which Chris just read, I want to go to my life verses. Uh, here's why I'm going to go to my life. These are the verses that I've claimed. Kind of, these are the verses I live by. I've, I found these verses a number of years ago as I was reading through the scriptures, and they came alive to me. This is written by the very same man who wrote John 15, one of Jesus' closest friends. And I think 1 John 5, in a lot of ways, sums up all of John 15. And here's how it goes. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. So I think right there, there's a period. Let's stop right there. This is foundational. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a child of God? Well, what do you need to do? What does that verse say? Does it say, go perform and produce fruit? No, it says, believe that Jesus is the Christ. Believe that Jesus is the son of God. Believe that Jesus is who he says he was. And everyone who loves the father, so it's going to continue. So this is where it starts. This is where the start of the Christian life. And everyone who loves the father loves his children too. So if you love me, you're going to love my cute son who just walked out of this room. You love me, you're going to love my family. So, so anyone who loves God will love the children too. So as we become Christians, we love other Christians. We know we love God's children if we love God. And now here's this, this tension that builds now. So we're going to talk about this morning. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments. Now, I'm not going to sugarcoat this morning. A lot of times when I talk about faith in Jesus, people say, well, Adam, how about obedience? Obedience is a pretty key thing. And it says, if you love God, you're going to obey his commands. So look at this next statement. And his commandments are not, what is it? Say it with me. Are not burdensome. Now, this is love for God to obey his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, when I was a brand new Christian, I became a Christian at age, it was like five or six Now, at five or six, what it was for me, I was coming home from a Wednesday night church gathering, much like we do clubs here, which start up in October, uh, coming up right around the corner. And coming home from that, and that night, the the children's communicator that night was talking about this place called hell. And it was the first time in my young mind that I remember connecting, that doesn't sound like a real fun place. And I don't think I want to go there. So on the drive home, I remember sitting in the back seat of our wood grain station wagon with the seat that goes the other way in the very back. You remember those things? That's what we had, called it the SS Nagel, and we're sailing home in that thing. And I say to my dad, Dad, you know what? We talked about this place called Hell Tonight. Can you tell me about that? I don't want to go there. So the conversation continued into our kind of bedtime routine. I get into my PJs, and I remember vividly kneeling down beside my dad's bed as he says, Adam, if you don't want to go to hell, you need to believe in Jesus Christ as your only source of salvation, that he's fully God and he's forgiven you of your sins. So acknowledge that you're a sinner and put your faith and trust in Jesus. And he shared it with me in childlike language. And I remember that night kneeling down and praying that prayer, and I believe that night I became a child of God. Now, I come through um, my, my elementary years, I go through my junior high years, my high school years, my high school years were, I went off the deep end in many ways, spiritually, many ways. Life got real hard, I even attempted suicide, I come back around and I go to a school in upstate New York, 
where for the very first time, it's, it was a Bible school, and for the very first time, I'm beginning to say, what does it really mean to live for Jesus? What does it really mean to be a Christian? And I think at that point, my faith renewed itself. And at that point, I didn't just say, I believe Jesus, but he is going to be my Lord, and I am going to follow him with everything I have. At that point in my life, there was a freshness and a newness, and that school required us to get out of bed every morning. For the first half hour, we had to do what they called a quiet time. Read the Bible and pray and journal. We had to do it, but I loved it. I couldn't wait. And a lot of times when that half hour was done, I was thinking, man, I'm not done. I want to sit here longer. I loved it. Remember, we, that school also said, not only do you want to read your Bible and pray, but let's share the, this love of Jesus with other people. So I signed up and I got to go to New York City. Remember vividly my first experience. I'm standing right across from Madison Square Garden. It's right in the opposite, across the intersection. And I set up this art easel and I start painting to tell the streets of New York City all about Jesus. And it lit a fire in me that when I got back to campus, I said, I'm signing up for every trip. I loved, loved, loved telling people about Jesus. It's like, yes, I loved giving my money away. I loved a member of missionary. There was a missions conference that came and this missionary comes up on the stage and he talks about his hopes and his dreams and his plans to be in France one day. And as I listened to him, I caught his vision and I said, man, I don't have a lot of money. I I remember walking up in front of a room like this. It was a large auditorium. I walk up and I stand him and I say, listen, Chris, I don't have a lot, but I'm going to pledge. I'm going to pledge to give you $10 a month. Now, $10 a month was a big deal for a college student. I had a hard time just getting my laundry done with the $10 that I needed to do that. And I, but I, I had a joy in my heart. It was nothing of a burden. I loved meeting needs and giving my money away. I loved serving people. I loved discipling young men. And it just was a passion and things were burning inside of me. But as time marched on and my Christian journey continued, guess what word began to slip into my vocabulary? This is a burden. Suddenly it was like when that alarm goes off, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I stayed up too late studying. I would like to just stay in bed and forget my quiet time. Suddenly, when the opportunities to share Jesus came up or the opportunities to go to New York City to preach the gospel, suddenly I'm thinking, oh, I want to do that again. And suddenly opportunities to give money, which God tells us to do, is suddenly like, I got a school bill to pay. And you know what? I'm going to skip that $10 I owe to, that I pledged to give to Chris. I'm going to hold that back to get some laundry done this month. So I'm kind of, I have, now that wasn't all that. There was still joy, but it was this ebb and flow. And so I'm sitting down reading my Bible one day, and it was actually for a class that I had. And I get to this verse, and I say, loving God means keeping his commandments. Okay, that didn't jump out at me because I'm like, yeah, I kind of know that. And his commandments are not burdensome, and it lit me up. And I said, oh, my goodness, there's a problem. The problem is I don't experience that to be true. And what I've found as I've walked with Christians, I've, I would bet a lot of money, there are many of you in this room who would say, I don't experience that to be true either. You talk to me about obeying God, and it's like, who, who wants to do that? Now, deep inside, you say, yeah, I want to, but when it comes down to it, it's hard to do. I talk to people about daily encountering God in a relationship with reading your Bibles. I can't believe how many Christians just struggle to get that simple thing done. Giving away your money which we are told to do. Many Christians struggle to do that. Sharing your faith with people that don't know Jesus. Many Christians struggle to do that. 
So as I read that, I said, well, okay, either the text is wrong, there's something wrong with this, or I, my experience is wrong. Now, I believe the Bible is the word of God. So I believe what the Bible says is true. So I said, okay, I'm going to start with that. Well, maybe it, it got interpreted wrong. So I went back and dug with everything I knew how to do into the original languages. There were professors there. I went and sat down with them. And it was a mission of mine to figure out what is wrong. Is this text wrong or am I wrong? And I learned that, yeah, that's interpreted. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good interpretation. And I realized, okay, well, I must be wrong then. What's not lining up with my experience? Well, I continued in the text, and here's where this is going to lead us into John 15, because this is the heart of John 15. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our, say it with me. You know what it doesn't say? It does not say we achieve this victory through our obedience. See, the Christian faith, the bullseye of the Christian faith is not obedience. It's love God while your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And out of that flows obedience. I think too often we as Christians, when we become Christians, we put on the bullseye obedience. And obedience is going to win the day. And obedience doesn't win the day. Because that's not the bullseye of the Christian faith. It's a result. It's a fruit. Like the light is of the lamp. Now... So, okay, so this victory comes through faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who, here it is again, not only those who obey, only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, to unpack this further with me, turn, maybe you're already there, Chris read it, John chapter 15, or page 897. Actually, as you're turning there, here we go. Abiding, I want to say this very clearly. Here's what we're going to talk about. Let me kind of sum 1 John 5 up. Over the years, I've learned to say it this way. Abiding, which we talk that word a lot about, to dwell, to live with. Abiding depends on obeying. So if you're going to say you abide with Jesus, obedience will be a part of your life. If obedience is not a part of your life, you are not abiding with Jesus. I don't know how else to say it. You can, I can't sugarcoat this in any other way. Now, The second thing, though, I would say is obeying depends on loving. And here's the key. Many of us miss this. If I'm really going to obey, it depends on this loving aspect. So another way to say this would be this. Loving equals obeying, but obeying doesn't always equal loving. You know, in school, I wasn't real great at math. I'm still not real great at math, but they'll teach you A equals B, so B equals A, right? So you got to be able to make these. So if A equals B and B equals A, well, we come to the Bible and think, okay, well, loving equals obeying. If I love, I'm going to obey. So therefore, I must be able to reverse it. So therefore, obeying must be equal loving. And I'm going to tell you, no, that's not always true. There are Christians who obey, obey beautifully, but they don't love at all. They don't love Jesus and they don't love other Christians and they don't love the world that God sent them to live in. So here's why I think we get this kind of mixed up. So loving will produce obedience, but we can't always turn it around and say, well, obedience is naturally then loving. So first or John chapter 15, 
Again, page 897, and we'll unpack this. Last week, I got to sit down. I sat right over here. Chris opened up the series. I love doing that. I love when Chris speaks. I love that we have a team approach to this. We're trying so hard to have me on stage no more than 60, 65% of the year and allow Chris that opportunity, and we love to continue to develop that team. So I just get to sit down. It's healthy for me to do that and not always be up giving. So I'm sitting down, taking in, and as, I'm reading, as Chris is reading, a couple things jumped out at me at this text. First one, you notice it says, I want you to bear fruit, but it doesn't just say bear fruit. It says bear how much fruit? Does it jump out to anyone else last week? Bear much fruit. (laughs) I love this. I think too many Christians are like, yes, look at the grape on my vine. This is awesome. I grew a grape. High fives around the room. I grew a grape. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I don't care about a grape. I want a whole cluster. So I challenge you to push into your life. It's not just overcoming a little sin here and there. It's saying, I want a lot of fruit in your life. Much fruit. Now, a second thing jumped out at me, and this, this one's kind of scary. And I'll, I'll just put the verses up to you because this, whew, these verses are, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that bear fruit so they will produce even more. So God's like, listen, I am determined to make sure you are producing fruit, a lot of it. And then this next verse, anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Now, I'm sitting over there last week, and that's red. And what it did, it brought back memories to me of a little boy when my dad, we, had, we didn't have a lot of money growing up, and we had a, a, a kind of a farmette where we grew 400 tomato plants to supplement income. Then we had this large orchard, a lot of apple trees. And in the wintertime, we'd go out into the orchard, and this is what this verse kind of brought up in my mind. We'd go out in the orchard, and these huge trees, I mean, they just kind of grow. Until my dad was done pruning, they look like there's nothing left. But what I learned at the pruning, you cut out the dead branches first. Because what a tree does is it's sending nutrients up. It senses there's a dead spot over here. And it will send its nutrients to the death to try and bring life. So what you do, you're going to cut that off. Get rid of it. Don't send good nutrients to the death. Because we want to make sure the nutrients are getting to the life. The the things that will produce life. So we cut them off. And then there are branches that grow that my dad trained me over the years to do this. There are branches that grow that just, they, you can begin to identify them. They will not bud. They will not produce fruit. So you cut them off as well. So the nutrients don't run into those branches, but continue out into where the fruit will hang. So until you're all done, you have this apple tree that looks totally different from when it's, I mean, you cut out a lot of branches. And then what we do is we go around and we gather all these branches up and we do exactly what this verse says. You put them on a pile and then they wither. You let them sit all summer long. And in the fall, and as the air gets cool, we walk out and my dad light, and I'm a pyromaniac. I don't know if I learned it from him or where it came from, but we'd go out there and you know, as a kid, these pile, I mean, those flames seemed 20 feet high. I probably was only 10, but these things were huge. One time the fire department shows up because they were so big and they're like, what's going on, Mr. Nagel? And he's like, oh, we're just burning our burn pile. And okay, well, you sure you're safe? Yeah, we're good. And they drove off. But I remember standing there with my dad holding his hand about 30 degrees outside. I'm all bundled up, but my face in that 30 degree air is turning red because I'm close to the fire and I'm beginning to sweat to form. And I'm like, man, this is crazy heat coming off this huge flame from the pile of sticks that have withered and on the pile to be burned. And my dad said this as a kid, Adam, imagine what hell's going to be like 
always stuck with me. Always stuck with me. And I believe this verse captures a picture of that. This verse and this text is full of this. It's like, if you don't obey, snip, 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 you're either going to get pruned or you're going to get, you're just flat out, you're not legit and you're going to go out in the burn pile. So as I read that, here's what begins to happen in my heart and my mind. A couple things begin to happen. And I think this is normal what happens in many of our hearts and minds. We look at this imagery and it kind of strikes up two things. One, we begin to think as Christians, I have to be perfect. I have to be everything that I'm not, in other words. There's no room for failure. There's no room for error. And then we begin to realize, but I'm not perfect. So we begin to live with this thing called fear, unhealthy fear. And I'm afraid of God because I know I'm not perfect and I don't want to be the dude that's cut off and thrown out in that pile. And so we live with this fear. And I think that's why verse nine, I want to capture the heart of this morning. Verse nine, don't do not, Chris led us up to verse eight. We're going to pick up at verse nine. It says this, I have loved you even as the father has loved me. Then capture this statement, remain where? Remain in my love. I think there's some of you this morning that have come here just to hear this message. Remain in God's love. God is radically loving. God is radically for you. God will continue to move in your direction. He loves you. And the command is remain in that place. I would say it this way. I think one of the greatest hindrance to fruit in the Christian life and really living, one of the greatest hindrances to obeying and enjoying God is condemnation. Romans 8.1 clearly teaches For those that are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation, period, end of story. Jesus himself from his own mouth in John chapter 3 says, I've come into the world to save the world, not to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come to condemn, he came to save. And he says, listen, I love you, I am for you. See, what's logical to us is I messed up, I deserve. That's logical. We get that. But I'd ask, do you feel close to someone who's condemning you? I mean, let me ask it this way. Do you want to serve someone who's condemning you? Have you ever felt your condemnation from your spouse? Does that make you say, wow, honey, yeah, I really want to do that for you. Or do you walk away grumbling and mumbling in your heart and your mind thinking, what a jerk. I want to show them. Oh, you may obey, but you're not close. There's no intimacy created in that time. You're obeying. You're doing what you, they want you to do. We don't feel close to people that are condemning us. And Jesus says, remain in my love. Remain in the Father's love. One of the greatest sinners, I cannot, you know, it's easier for us to believe that we're the sinners deserving punishment than to believe that we are counted righteous in Jesus. I believe it's all my heart. You know, when you put your faith in Jesus, Jesus says he is now in you and you are in him and you are now righteous. And it is so hard for us to believe that. It's so much easier for us to say, yeah, I believe that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner. I can believe that. But when you put your faith in Jesus, please hear that. If you're here this morning, you are a Christian person. Maybe some of you are not, and I'd welcome you to join us. You're here when you're a Christian person, God looks down at you and he sees Jesus and he says, you are righteous. End of story. You say, I don't feel that. Well, you may not, and we'll work through that in this passage. For some reason, we tend to think that being a Christian means being everything that we're not. But that's not true. It means be who you are in Jesus, period. 
J.D. Greer, a pastor in Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina, says it this way. True love for God cannot grow when we are unsure about his feeling for us. What ends up happening, we're unsure of how God feels about us. We'll serve and we'll obey him. But the whole time we're serving and the whole time we're obeying, we kind of got one eye on, I think one eye is on, on loving God, but the other eye is on this over here. It's trained on, okay, God, I'm serving and I'm obeying. Have I done enough yet? Have I made you happy yet? Have I, am I finally out of that cond- condemned state? God, and we constantly are serving and obeying, trying to elevate our status with God. And that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is in Jesus, period. I have performed for you, Jesus says. That's John chapter 15, remain in my love. Some question came up last week. I I, I interacted with some of you and I loved it. Some questions came up about eternal security out of last week's message. When you read verse six, you say, well, cut out. Does that mean, here's my struggle. I believe firmly and wholeheartedly in eternal security. I believe the scriptures teach it. One of my struggles with those who do not believe it, I'll just, I'll just say this. One of my struggles is oftentimes when you get into the discussion, what does it often hinge on? Well, they're not eternally saved because look at how they live. Now, wait a minute. Am I saved because of how I live or am I saved because of what Jesus has lived for me? Eternal security is a thing that the Bible teaches. And you say, well, how about those people who profess to be Christians and they live like the world? Well, we, that's, I'd love to entertain that discussion off the stage. But my relationship with God is secure because of what Jesus has done for me, period. And Jesus comes out and says, remain in that love. Preach to your heart, teach to your heart. God is for you in the person of Jesus Christ. Remain in that love. You know, I think the real test of are you saved is not how you live. The real test for are you saved is does God love you? Do you know that he loves you? Remain in that love. Now you say, yeah, but and I want to encourage the, yeah, but please push in on this. Sincerely, you say, Adam, you're so passionate. I know, push in. You say, yeah, but you said that abiding depends on obeying. It does. Look at verse 10. Now let's talk about this. Verse 10, the very next verse. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love. You say, see, Adam, I said, look, there it is. That's how I remain. I obey. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love. Just, now here's the key. Just as I obey my father's commands and remain in his love. You say, well, how does Jesus do that? Well, let's go back to, if you're there in, your, in the section, go back to John 14. Look at verse 10. Okay, so Jesus is drawing this parallel and he says, listen, the relationship I have with you, disciples, is the relationship that God has with me. And here, so what's the relationship God has with Jesus? Let's go back. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? You see that? I love this. Jesus says, listen, I am in God and God is in me. Isn't that sound familiar? Chris read this last week in Colossians. We are in Jesus and Jesus is in us. Okay, so let's keep reading. So he's talking to the disciples. Don't you believe that? The words I speak are not my own, but my father who lives in me does his work through me. So who's doing the work, Jesus or God in him? Do you see this? Do you see what Jesus says? Jesus is saying, listen, I am in the father and the father is in me. And as the father is in me, he's going to work in me and do the work through me. The same thing Jesus says to us. Listen, believe in me. I will be in you and you will be in me and I will work through you. Continue reading. 
The words I speak are not my own. This is 14 verse 10. The words I speak are not my own, but my father who lives in me does his work through me. Verse 11, just believe that I am in the father and the father is in me. So he says, that's what I want you to get. I want you to know this. Now, and then he says, then he adds, or if you can't at least get your head around that, look at the fruit. So, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Then look at verse 31 of chapter 14. But I will do what the father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the father. Here's what I'd say. The fruit in Jesus' life validates who he is. The fruit doesn't create who he is. It shows the result of who he is. So he's saying to the disciples, I want you guys to know that what's happening in me is because God is in me and I am in God. And because God is in me and I am in God, there is fruit, there is obedience. But hey, listen, if that's too much for you to get your head around, at least take a look at the fruit because the fruit validates. I think the same thing is true for Christians. Your life will validate what you believe. Where your faith is, what you trust in for life, who, remember Chris said last week, I am the vine. He is our life source. If he is my life source, there will naturally produce fruit. So if I'm not producing fruit, the question has to come back. But if I am producing fruit, it's going to show who my life, it validates me. So here's what I'd say. If you're not obeying, what does that mean? Well, you're going to feel cut out. You're going to feel a thing called shame or guilt. Now, contrary to Oprah and Brene Brown and some other people, Brene Brown, I love what she says, but she pushes too far, in my opinion, a secular uh, sociologist down in Texas. They try so hard today to scrub shame and guilt out. I'd say, no, shame and guilt is actually can be a very good thing. We don't lead with it. We don't beat people up with it. But what it does, it should push me in. I should feel cut out. When I'm not obeying, I should feel guilt. I should feel, well, there's a problem. So what should that do to me? It should drive me back towards relationship to understand that God didn't move, I moved. So fruit validates, it doesn't create. Verse five of 15, Chris looked at this last week. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So here's what I'd say. I'd say, pay attention if you're fruitful. It's not the goal. It's I don't stare, but I need to pay attention. And here's what happens. I need to be aware, am I producing fruit? And if I do not see fruit, it should drive me to Jesus Christ. It should drive me to say, what's the proximity What's the proximity? See, the problem isn't the light bulb. I can change the light bulb all I want. You can bring me 50 new light bulbs and it's not going to turn light on. You say, well, the lamp's not giving me light. There's no fruit. What's because the lamp's not plugged in? So if you're looking at your life and you don't see fruit, the question is, am I plugged into Jesus? Am I living there? Am I staying there? Am I remaining there? Am I remaining in that place of his love for me and my love for him? That's why as a church, we don't preach, stop it. We preach, follow Jesus. Oh yeah, there's some things we'd like some of you to stop. There's some behavior I think some of you would do well to clean up. In obedience to God, I think there's some things that many of us, and myself included, would do well to clean up. But you know what? We don't preach, stop it. We preach, follow Jesus, plug into his life source, make sure that's where you're living, that's where you're abiding, that's where you're remaining. And we believe that then the fruit of that will be stopping it. The second thing is you focus on your fruit. As you begin to see fruit, then what you do is you don't say, wow, look at Adam. (laughs) 
Is he a cool guy? He grew a grape. High fives all around. He grew a grape. No. It's okay. I don't have fruit. I get into Jesus. Okay, I have fruit. God, thank you for Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Remain in my love. Now, again, here's where we're at. Abiding depends on obeying. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. If you're not obeying, I cannot stress it enough. You're not abiding. However, (laughs) obeying depends on loving. Continuing the passage, verse 11. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because the master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now, you are my friends since I have told you everything my father told me. You didn't choose me. Here's another one of the awesome verses. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce not only fruit, but look at this, lasting fruit, so that the father will give you whatever you ask using my name. This is my command. Love each other. So what is obeying? Obeying is loving. Do you know most of the scriptures, most of the commands in scripture are interpersonal? Have you ever thought about that? Don't murder. Well, if I don't murder and hate you, it's going to help our relationship a lot. A whole lot. If I don't, okay, one of the other ones is don't commit adultery. Well, if I don't commit adultery, it's going to help my relationship with you as I don't cheat on you and rob you of your spouse. So many of the commands, think about the fruit of the spirit as Pastor Chris talked about last week. Love, joy, peace, patience. It's next to impossible to live them out without people in your life. How do I know I'm loving? How do I know I'm patient? How do I know I'm kind? If I just live in isolation all day, yeah, I'm I'm the most loving guy you've ever met in the world. But throw four kids into the mix, and suddenly that patience and kindness kind of looks like, whoa, Adam, are you really growing fruit on that branch? So much of God's scriptures are interpersonal in nature. So I think, what does it really mean to obey? Obeying, Jesus clearly says it is loving. I think also it says, I want you to bear fruit and fruit that remains. I think everything in me, Pastor Chris dealt on this a little bit last week, but when Jesus talks about fruit, yes, he's talking about the fruit of the spirit, but I think more than anything, he's talking about people. His great commission, go into all the world and make disciples. Make disciples. That's what Jesus wants of us, people. So I think it's important to say, am I loving? Am I kind? Am I patient? But more important is, do you, are you growing disciples in your life? Yes or no? It's a question we don't push in on enough. Who's the last person you shared Jesus with? I want to push in on this. Who's the last person you said, I love you so much, I want to share Christ? Who's the last person that you walked with in a way to strengthen their faith, to grow them up, to point them to Jesus, so that uh, who's the person in your life right now you'd say, I am discipling them. That's what Jesus asked us all to. You say, well, Adam, that's your job. And so I get that. We hope to have a church where you can bring your friends here, where they can encounter Jesus on a Sunday morning and grow up in that. Absolutely. But we're all called to do it. Whether it's as a mom whether it's a school teacher, a coach, a carpenter, a nurse, a doctor, we are called to go into the world and make disciples and love people. Jesus says, and then when you do that, bear fruit, and I want to see that fruit last. It's not just getting someone saved, it's growing them up. 
Not just getting someone to raise their hand and make a decision and walk the aisle, but it's growing them up. So that's what obedience, I think, really is all about. Now, as I share all this, you still may say, and I hope you're, maybe some of you are pushing in saying, yeah, Adam, I get that, <laughs> but I'm still not quite there. You still may say, I still think at some level, my obedience determines my relationship with God. At some level, I still believe clearly the scripture says, be perfect, be holy. If not, God is not pleased and he will reject me. At some level, you still may say, Adam, I think you should be up there preaching to people to work harder. Adam, at some level, churches across America are filled with worldly people and then they're just washed out and worn out. And you know what, Adam? I think you stand up there and preach and it's a lot more firmly to obey God. You still may be there. Well, let's, I want to end with this verse, verse 11. Come back to it. I read it, but I think this is the, this is the one I hopefully, if you're kind of there in that position, I hopefully you lock into this, and I think this thought helps you understand why it's not a burden. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with what? I told you this stuff so that you'll be full of joy. Now he says, I don't just want a little bit of joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So everything I'm telling you, I've told you so that your joy overflows. I want to end with this story. I want to put a, paint a scenario for you. Person A and person B, we'll call person A Aaron. That starts with A, right? Aaron, I guess it can be E-R-I-N, but A-R-O-N. Person A, Aaron. Person B, we'll call him Bob. Both person A and person B are in debt up to their eyeballs. They have consumer debt out the nose. Let's say someone in the neighborhood has $75,000 of consumer debt. Now, if any of you have lived there or are currently living there, what happens? You know the reality of that. The stress mounts, the pressure builds, the anxiety sets in. You begin to fight with your spouse. You're edgy with your kids. You're taking calls from the collect bill collectors, and you're having things repossessed. And, and the pressure is just absolutely mounting on both Aaron and Bob. Both of them do the right thing. Both of them say, we've got to get our hands around this because if not, our marriages are going to fall apart. Our kids and our families aren't going to make it. And we want to be free of the anxiety that this is pushing in on us. So Aaron and Bob both go to sit down with financial advisors. Aaron sits down and they put together a plan and they start to put together a plan so stringent that their kids at home, this is borrowed from Dave Ramsey, by the way, their kids at home begin to fear, man, mom and dad are selling everything. Are we next? I mean, they're getting rid of the dog. They're getting, I mean, everything's gone. I mean, they're starting to, I mean, if it's not nailed down, it goes and we're selling and we're liquidating. We're going to do everything we can to get out of debt. And they're working the plan and the plan is working. Bob sits down and does the same thing. He and his wife work their tails off to get out of debt. And the same thing, they're working the plan and their kids are beginning to think, man, I mean, both these kids are kind of getting together at school and thinking, man, what's, so they're starting to think we're going to find a house together, but you know, let's make this plan work. Now, Through the process, Aaron and his wife and their family work themselves out of debt. Now, the day they pay that final bill, they come home from work and they tell their kids, we are out of debt. They go out that night and they celebrate. They go to McDonald's because they don't want to pay too much and go back in debt. So they just go and get a burger and fries. (laughs) But they're celebrating. And they're letting their kids know this is awesome. And they go to bed that night. Do you think they have joy in their heart when they go to bed? Absolutely. They're at peace for the first time in a long time. We are at peace. Now, Bob, Bob, about halfway, a quarter way into his journey, a friend has him, he says, Bob, a long friend he hasn't, hasn't contacted for a while, says, hey, Bob, can, I'd like to have lunch with you. 
So they get together at a small cafe in town and, and they're sitting talking and Bob's kind of updating his friend kind of where he's at. And, and his friend says, well, actually, God laid something in my heart, Bob. I'd like to give you this. And he opens up a bag and pulls out a wad of cash. I wanted to bring it, but I don't have this much. And just slaps it down on the table. <laughs> now, Bob sits there and looks at the table and sees more cash in one place than he's ever seen in his life. And he looks up at his friend and is like, what is that? It's for you. I want to help you get out of debt. I want you to know the freedom that comes with being out of debt. Let me ask you a question. Bob goes home that night to celebrate. They too go to McDonald's because they, they've learned how to live well and how to cut back. And so they too go to McDonald's and, and they're celebrating with their kids and they go to bed that night. Let me ask you a question. Who has overflowing joy in their heart? The guy who worked his tail off or the guy that was given a gift? You know the answer, right? Who walks out and says, who walks out and says, man, I want to serve. I want to give back. I want to do the guy who, the guy who said, yeah, look what we did. Or the guy who says, wow, look what was given to us. What I have learned, verse 11, I think solidifies this. What I have learned in my life is joy is much greater when we get what we don't deserve than if we worked for what we do deserve. So I think Jesus is saying, he would not be saying, listen, guys, work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard so that your joy overflows. He's saying, no, come to my love and understand that I am in you and you are in me. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And when you understand it and you remain in that love, the natural result is going to be obedience and is going to be fruit. And if there is not fruit, the problem isn't go work harder. The problem is go find out where the source got severed and plug back into me. That is where joy comes from and that is where it overflows. And that is why too many churches today are not happy, fun places to be. Because we're so consumed with our performance for him and not nearly consumed enough with his performance for us. So as a pastor, I will never stand on this stage and say, work harder, work harder, work harder. But I will be a pastor that says obey. And if you're not obeying, it's because you're not connected with Jesus in some way appropriately. So I come back to 1 John 5 and this is what we'll end with. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. There it is. If you're in this room this morning, you say, well, Adam, I've never believed that Jesus is the Christ. What that means, simply believing that Jesus is fully God. All you've got to do is have faith in him and you become his child. So if you've never been there, I encourage you to do it this morning. And everyone who loves the father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. I want to talk to you. I'm going to pray here in a minute. For those of you who say, Adam, I don't experience that. I'm going to take a stab in the dark. You don't experience it because the rest of the verse is this. For every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith, not our work and not our obedience. So I'm going to pray to you. Say, God, I want to come back to that simple. Here's how this works. Here's how this works for me. I try every day. I try every day in my quiet time to write thank you. And I thank God for something to consistently remind me that my life is not a result of my hard work. And I try every day to start out with some thought of God, thank you. And I try and focus on his performance for me and drive it into my heart as opposed to my performance for him. But too often, the, fr- the light goes out. And too often, I find myself more consumed with my fruitlessness than I am with Jesus' work in my life. And the victory, 
doesn't come by working hard. The victory comes to our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the son of God. You never outgrow the message of Jesus Christ. I don't care if you've been a believer for 20, 30, 40, or 50 years. You never outgrow the simple message of apart from Jesus, I am lost and I am dead. Apart from Jesus, I cannot produce fruit. Verse five, it is him that works in me. So I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray first of all that you know Jesus. Some of you in this room, I believe in a room this size, there are people in this room, I hope that you're here that don't know Jesus. I'm glad we designed this church for people like you who can come in and wrestle and think about Jesus. Secondly, I know there's a lot of people in this room who probably say, you know what? You know what? Yeah, I know Jesus, but all I seem to know is this thing called burden. I don't want to obey. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that you make a conscious decision this week to begin to wrestle with this connection with Jesus Christ. Focus on your proximity to Jesus and focus on his performance for you and less on your performance for him. God, thank you so much for Jesus. So I want to say a simple prayer right now. First, God, I pray for the people in this room that would say, man, I don't know if I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't know if I'm a Christian. God, would right now, if there's a person in this room that that is them, would they simply acknowledge I'm a sinner and Jesus is God and he came to give me life? And would they put their faith and their trust and their value, whatever other word we could tag to it, would they step towards you in faith? God, for those in this room, that, again, simply that are Christians that, that, that say, man, I don't have a lot of joy and I wouldn't say my life is overflowing. God, would they come back and just remain in your love? Would they know that it's love that produces obedience? Would they focus on your performance for them in Jesus and less on their lack of performance? Would they not be so focused on the fruit, but be focused on the source? as we close out this service and sing the final song, press in on our hearts the beauty of Jesus. And may we run to you. And God, may we not be a church that preaches stop it, but we, may, but we be a church that preaches follow Jesus and then walk with the mess as people try to do that. We love you. We want to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.